The champ. The champ. Ha uh, I have a question for you. Yeah? Already? It, yeah. If we were to have Bill Champlin and Tamara Champlin, are we hosting the co-champs? Co-champs. Co-champs. Yes. Yes. Like Michigan and Nebraska. Uh, what? What? Weren't they co-champs? No. No? Yeah, you've got your facts and history wrong. <laughs> oh. So we're going to get into a little history real quick. Okay. But before we do, did you see that uh, we have a uh, YouTube channel now? We do. We yeah. have a few videos up there. Growing. An yep. ever-growing library. So yep. the idea is we are going to post the uncut, unedited video uh, interviews that we do with our guests. Yeah, and you even get to see a little behind the scenes because sometimes when we talk about, oh, we're going to edit that out, you know, right? Exactly. We, we do that for the podcast, but it doesn't get edited out for That's the right. uh, so it is YouTube. They're probably a little bit longer too, extended cut. So if for you sure. really want to see the right. full un, what do I call it? The un uh, unadulterated? No, un no, un something. Whatever. It's yeah. the, it's raw. It's very un. So check us out. We will link to that in all of the show notes. But you can find uh, our YouTube channel by searching for the At Rock Podcast out of the main. Right. On YouTube. Mm-hmm. So, let's see if you got your history right. Okay. So, what were you doing in uh, February? Which day? Uh, the day we went down to Dayton. That was a good day. Yes. That was a good day. We went down to Dayton for the we the inaugural We Will Yacht You uh, concert in uh, Dayton, Ohio, featuring the, what, the 80s sort of tribute band, um, Stranger. Yep. With a couple of special guests. We had Frankie Previtt was there, and we had had him on the show. Yep. Frankie Previtt from Frankie and the Knockouts, as well as the writer of uh, a couple of hits from the uh, Dirty Dancing soundtrack. And then also was uh, Bill Champlin and Tamara Champlin, and uh, they were they were excellent. Oh, yeah, which we'll get into. Yeah. Well, we were lucky enough to get invited down to the concert, which would have been a thrill just to be able to be in the room and watch the show. Yeah, yeah. But we got an opportunity to actually talk to Bill and Tamara. Yeah, at their hotel. At their hotel, yep. Um, very was, impromptu. Very impromptu. So we got there, and uh, it's like, well, let's see if we can find a room. And <laughs> the uh, concierge there got us a little room and a table, and we opened up the laptop. And you know, it was, it was it, what was intended to be an interview turned into more of a kind of a... Just a shoot the breeze session. Yeah, really. chit chat. Yep, we weren't sure exactly when we were uh, rolling tape or when we were beginning, but right. Uh, and then we got to go to sound check, which we'll talk about a mm-hmm. little bit at the end of this episode. So, uh, yeah, as you mentioned, we found an empty room. We uh, set up a mic, hit record, and um, what we're going to do today is just talk through some of the clips from that chat. Right. Exactly. We didn't have the video cameras rolling, so this will not be on YouTube, right. but um, this will be a two-part episode because we talked, we kind of ran into the uh, sound check a little bit. Almost. <laughs> yeah, almost. Uh, <laughs> but uh, we started uh, familiar territory, did we not? Yeah, we did. I had I had a couple of questions written out, and I, the interview, like I said, went sort of off the map after that, but <laughs> uh, this is how it started. Um, I guess the first question I had for you is, uh, as I was looking through some of your catalog and things... Um, we'd always heard the story about how Turn Your Love Around was written, and it's a bizarre story. But I saw you as a co-writer on there, and I did not know that. I thought it was purely Jay and Lucather that wrote that. What was well, your that's all I would talk about, but I yeah. wrote the lyrics. You did the lyrics on the that. The song and, uh, and the melody. Actually, they had the melodies pretty much, except I wrote the melodies for the bridge. And, uh, and I did all the lyrics on the record and did, did all the background vocals for George's, uh, George's version of it. Mm. And... Uh, yeah, the three of us actually wrote the song. So we got, that was my second Grammy. I was second Grammy in two years, and I figured, hey, I'm going to get one every two years. Right. I was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it's funny when he said that uh, he thought he was going to get a, a Grammy every two years. You, know, you got two in two years. I mean, they're solid, too, though. Right. You know, but... Uh, 
Let's All I was so wondering easy. is if we're going to get the explicit tag put on the podcast right out of the gate. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so that was cool. Um, yeah. So like you said, the interview went off the map, but I did have my first question teed up. You did. Um, because I think I read something somewhere where, or maybe you were telling me on the way down that, that Bill and Tamara either wrote or spoke somewhere about the difference between being the lead singer and a backup singer. And I wanted to ask them how that sort of technique changed, if it changed. And uh, this is what they said. Well, you both sing. So we're here with Tamara and Bill. You both sing backups. You both sing lead. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, I'm not a, a vocalist, but I marvel at what you guys do. Can you talk about how your technique might change if you are in the background as opposed to, you know, the cover on the on the record? Is there a change in technique? And you, either one of you could take that first. We both have such unique voices yeah. that we wonder about blending and how you approach that. I always found backgrounds to be, you know, you, you got to do backgrounds and do it well. You got to learn how to think and sing at the same time. Because mm. here comes this and here comes that. You got to know exactly where things go because you're going to end up doubling it. You got to blend with the other people. All of those things are in mind while you're singing. When you're, when you're singing a lead, really all you got to think about is, what is the song? What does it say? Let's try to bring it across. So they're two different, kind of two different approaches to Very singing. Different mentality. And, you know, and for a while, I, was, I mean, everything I was doing, everything sounded like backgrounds. And my lead started to sound like backgrounds. And Tamara oh. finally said, why don't you just sing a lead vocal and then do the backgrounds? Hmm. But get the lead to where, it's, where it feels hmm. like something. And I went, oh, you're right. I'm, so you were stacking yeah, you all the backgrounds? Yourself, if, you, yeah. if you just do, if you start it with the backgrounds, because Bill can do, he can arrange the everything to incredibly vocally you know because that's what he's really known for in a lot of ways and in some circles but he you know if you you lock yourself into that mm -hmm. then you're kind of, your lead is is limiting yourself yeah. if you if you sing your lead and, and say what you want to say you know and get the feel of the touch song people in a, a yeah, you're, way. You're gotta, yeah you know people got to hear your lyrics and feel what you're singing the backgrounds are pretty much part of the band okay. and the lead's pretty much part of the story it's, yeah, it's supposed, great it's supposed to be, you know? Interesting. And before we actually were officially on air, you told us a quick story about a turning point in your singing career where you got a brand new influence and started singing a little differently. And the name you brought up surprised me. So, Well, I mean, the, uh, I, I was, you know, I was kind of started off as a sort of a pop. I wanted to be just a pop singer, which was whatever was going on. We're talking about mid-60s. Mm-hmm. And uh, early 60s, actually, and, and Rob Moitoza is a gentleman that I work with a lot. He turned me on to James Brown, the James Brown band. I love James Brown, but boy, did I dig his band. Mm. Those guys were ridiculous, just insane. So I fell in love with that, and I just kind of became a, a lot more aware of R&B. It was a radio, st radio station in town, and I remember where I was the first time I heard Lou Rawls on the, on the station. I just went, and this is before You'll Never Find. Mm -hmm. This is long before that. Okay. This is 23 albums before that, wow. when he did Tobacco Road and uh, and uh, and that the, the first two albums. Hard. One was Black and Blue, and the other was Tobacco Road album. Tobacco Road was a big hit for him. It's a country a country tune, and a young producer uh, put them together with a really great arranger, and they did they did the version of Tobacco Road that he did. And Lou's phrasing was so in the back; they just kind of held back, really back phrased almost everything. Is in behind the beat? Yeah, just, yeah, not behind it, but just, you know, if the beat's perfect at 50, he sang everything at 45 okay. or 49.96. You know, just right back here. 
D'Angelo is known for back phrases. Mm-hmm. A lot of people want, hey, D'Angelo was the first guy that ever did that. And I said, uh-uh, it's wrong. <laughs> Lou Rawls did that, you know. And then but later on, we kind of became friends. But I, I've just listened to those first two albums of his. I don't know whether you know it. Remember uh, Bring It On Home by Sam Cooke? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. The guy singing with him is Lou Rawls. Really? Yeah, it's really that. a duet. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, listen for that again. That was Lou, yeah. I did not. Because they sang in a, in a gospel group, Pilgrim Travelers. And I think in, they, they sang in two different gospel groups together. So they, they knew each other from the get. So, uh, you know, that was kind of Lou's, into, you know, getting into secular music as opposed to gospel. And he tore up, you know. It's funny because I can hear that so much in your singing at times, you know, the, yeah. the gospel, the, the blues, the R&B. But then you go and, um, and kind of jumping forward a little in the timeline, the CWF stuff, and it's much more of a rock, AOR it's, Yeah, it's either sort rock, of area. Or rock or kind of, kind of West Coasty. So my most interesting thing takeaway from that was that when he said his biggest influence was the early 60s era Lou Rawls, and specifically he mentioned Tobacco Road. Yeah. And Lou's, um, when you mention back phrasing, he kind of means that he sings a little bit behind the beat. We talk about being ahead of the beat, on the beat, behind the beat. And Lou would sing behind the, the beat a little bit and kind of drag. And he, Bill says something somewhere along the line in one of these clips. He says, it's just sexier back there. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. Yep. And it's interesting to get uh, Tamara's take, too, on some of this stuff as well. Um. The serendipity, though, of the timing of this interview, because we had already booked Peter Freestat. Yeah. And so if you heard that episode a few weeks ago, uh, we spoke with Peter, and then we learned the story of Peter having the, is cojones a Swedish word? It is not. No. <laughs> he had them, though. <laughs> he had them to take a chance. And we heard it from Peter's standpoint. Right. And now we got to hear the we story. We had to verify the story, <laughs> yeah. right? So we went straight to the source. And, and here's here's how that turned out from Bill's perspective. Yeah, he called me up and he says, hey, I got a, you, could you write a song with us? And I, for some reason, he was just, he had those balls to just call me out of nowhere and ask me to do <laughs> yeah. it. And I went, sure, here's my house, come over. So we brought it over and he brought a, I think at this point it was a CD, just with a rough, a rough melody and a rough idea. And I said, yeah, I'll write it. So I wrote it. He says, well, we'll cut it on Wednesday. And uh, so I went to the studio, and I figured that they'd already had the track, and I'd go in and overdub over the track, like every other session that I did in those mm-hmm, days. Mm-hmm. I walk in, and there's pretty much the Yellow Jackets yeah. wow. playing on it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> well, take <dig> this. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, we, we sang it all live. You know, it just all went live. And actually, Peter got Mark Richmond to play hey, the guitar on the session. So anyway, the, uh, uh, and then, so we did that, you know, and, and I, it was one of my, you know, Russ Ferrante is one of my favorite piano players ever. There's a guy who sits on the back end of the group. Him mm-hmm. and Joe Sample mm-hmm. were both back here. It's sexier. Just, you sit back there, it's just sexier somehow. And then, uh, and then at some point he said, hey, we got this other song we're doing, this little little funky sort of groove thing that we're going to, that we're going to do. And, and I was in there, he says, you want to, you want to sing it? I says, is it written? He says, no, you want to write it and sing it? <laughs> I was pretty much writing it on the vocal date, you know, on the date singing wow. with the band. So by the time they got to like take three, I got the third verse done. <laughs> <laughs> and I went, okay, here it is. I mean, it's not exactly, you know, Bridge Over Trouble Waters or Amazing Grace or anything. <laughs> Somebody said, what are the three best songs ever written? Is Amazing Grace, Bridge Over Trouble Waters, and the song I wrote this morning. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, of course. Right, right. First he says, you want to sing it? And he says, you want to write it? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> That's yeah. great stuff. Make Bill do all the work. Yeah. 
Switching gears. Mm-hmm. Um, I had an opportunity to ask a living legend which version of one of his songs right. is the best. Yeah. Right. We'd already uh, talked to Jay about this. We knew what Jay Graydon thought. Yep, exactly. I had my own opinion, but who better to ask than Bill Champlin, who's been on how many versions now? Oosh, four or five. Well, yeah. put a pin in that because I'm going to come back to that. Okay. But anyways, here's uh, how that question kind of got answered and uh, expounded upon. Well, speaking of another song that you wrote in another Grammy that you won, I have to ask you, which is the best version of After the Love Has Gone? The Graydon version on Airplay for the Planet. Really? That's it's really great. Foster played a little bit different piano part. Mm-hmm. It's not quite as big and giant with the big strings. And I mean, the, the the wire choir guitar section in the middle of it is through the roof. Yeah. You know, Jay does that better than anybody. Interesting. And, uh, and uh, you know, I, he was actually beta testing the new ADAP machines. Mm. So he had three of them in sync, right? So when you link up the three ADAP machines, it's, you, you start hearing it play, and then when the second one comes in, the music goes, ah, oh. ah, like uh, any links. Because it gets up to speed. So we're talking about After the Love is Gone, which is in five different keys on the chorus alone. Yeah. And having this machine go, ah, right before I go, it's like, where the hell are you? Finally, I said, Jay, why don't you just lie to Marcus, Marcus Ryle, who, who invented the ADAS. Just lie to him, tell him you did it on there. Let's fly this over to the he's two beautiful MCI 24 track. Let's go to the 24. It took three days to sing the vocal on that. Really? The vocal on the background on that. Because of, eh, eh. <laughs> So you never man, ended up down No, man, I got to do it Marcus's way. I said, well, then oh. give me way more. Yeah, run up. You know, give me, give, give me a little more ramp so that it can... <laughs> So I can get some kind of idea of pitch because it's like, oh, it's a whole song in Portamento. Yeah. You know what we just learned, at least I just learned, is that the Earth, Wind, and Fire version, the chorus, um, what Philip is singing is the, it sounds like the melody to me, but it's actually the harmonies. Yeah, it's actually Maurice. Oh, that's Maurice is singing. That part. Yes. So, um, Maurice's falsetto was beautiful. Oh. Oh. And then then later on, you can hear, when, when Philip comes in, it's just, it's, you know, Phil Bailey, he's just one of the best at a certain kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But Maurice kind of, I think, was he, he just produced a really good record. Yeah. It's, did it ever bother you? Because it sounded like it bothered Jay uh, Graydon a little bit, but that, yeah. that that vocal was slightly altered. Every other version has the melody singing in the as chorus. As you did. Yeah. As you did. Yeah. 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 Well, it's, you know, Maurice, you know, what do you tell Maurice what to do? <laughs> no. You know, he, he, he got it. I think and David was... I mean, it was the last song we'd written for my first album. Mm-hmm. And I'd cut a couple of demos on it, and then, you know, I always had the wrong drummer. Something was always wrong. Maybe I wasn't singing it great on the original version. And, uh, but Foster was working as a piano player for, for Earth, Wind, and Fire. I think he was playing on September or something like that, mm-hmm. or one of the other tunes on I Am. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and the tape was rolling back. Remember those days? Yeah, yes, I do. Got, we got well, some yeah, time. I am old enough Actually, to remember. David started playing. At that piano. time, with David, he was on such a roll. It didn't matter. It could have been perfect for you. However, he could see the next step for him, and that song especially, yeah. would be to give it to Maurice and go with, you know, yeah. spread it. You know, it's like like Paul McCartney would love, so love Maurice, everybody doing their songs. Yeah, right? Right. Maurice basically was in that kind of place. He says, if Bill will agree to not release it, 
not put it on his record, we'll put it on. And this was supposed to be on single or on? It was going to be on single. single. On single, okay. Yeah. For and some reason, I another one away. And then Maurice said, I'd like two more songs also, if you the same deal, you know, if, if Bill will choose to not not release them. And I went, why not just give him the whole fucking album? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then I got no record, you know. Right. <laughs> and David, at one point, David said, you know, you could do this. We can rewrite, we can just take a day and write, replace those two, you know. But there were two songs I really liked a lot. One mm. was, I think one was, uh, Maybe Love Is Forever, and the other one was Fly With Me, mm. which we kind of needed. Oh, yeah. So how much, pushback, oh, sorry, how much pushback was yeah. there from you to... I just said, well, let's just do After the Love Is Gone, leave it at that. Well, that's what I was going to say. You then have to ask, and then, would you have gotten a Grammy? Yeah, and and then CBS was like, oh, this is just a black boogie band. We don't release singles. And David happened to be in New York City. He was, he was back there uh, producing Hall and Oates' record along the yeah. ledge. Extent. And oh, their session way. started at one. And David spent the mornings going over to the Black Rock and just banging on doors. You got to release this as a single. It's going to be a good single. This is a single. This is going to fly. These guys need this song. You guys need this song. And I think they released it as a single just to get Foster out of their face. <laughs> One of the first times Foster actually treated that song the way Diane Warren treats every song she writes. They all love the phrase wire choir, right? <laughs> Those harmonized lead guitars got to be known as the wire choir. Because I was talking to Peter Freestead again just the other day, and he, it, everything's wire choir this, wire choir that. I love, guitarists love that. I I've guess. been saying it nonstop since we went on yeah. a date myself. So. It was funny when he said Maurice White wanted two more songs. Yeah, and he's like... Uh, you give him the whole album. There is some controversy though, because when we talked to Jake Graydon, didn't he say that the the lead there? You know, because we talk about how the yeah. the harmony is actually the melody or vice versa. But didn't he? Didn't Jay tell us something different? He said it was Maurice singing. Oh, that's right. We um we thought that it was Philip Bailey singing the high part, and he said no, that's actually Maurice in the falsetto. Right. And then Bill said it was Philip in it his head Phillip voice. In his head voice, yeah. yeah. So, oh, so. the mystery continues. Who else can we ask? We can get uh, David Foster on get the show and settle this. Yes. <laughs> and going back to the idea that um, Maurice wanted two more songs, kind of connects me to the uh, one of the earlier clips where uh, Bill thought he might be getting a Grammy every two years. Maybe if he gave a couple of songs to Earth, Wind, and Fire, he might have another Grammy. Yeah, you never know. Exactly. Never know. Uh, who knows? He may even gotten credit for for it. From- <laughs> yes. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So where, where do we go next? Well, we got into a discussion about songwriting and um, about uh, making a song a hit. How does a song become a hit? There was a lot of stuff there. It was just like an open discussion. They hit on something really, really interesting that we think of um, producers and record executives and even artists really hawking their material hard, you know, doing gigs to support or going to radio stations or doing promotion, all this stuff. I don't often think of a songwriter going out and doing that. And so yeah. they had to, they talked to us about Diane Warren and this this image of okay, she writes a song, she gets Chicago 
to record it. Now she's going to make sure not only that Chicago records it, but she's going to make darn well sure that radio gets behind it too. And so she takes it upon herself. And that was a heck of a story. So I want to hear a little more about that. She fights for it. Does she? Oh yeah. She's, she's got a lot of grace. It's like, it's like having a baby. Some people have a baby and gone. Yeah. Yeah. I'm done. I'm, I'm, you know, I've done my job. It's over with. She raises them through school, puts them in college, gets a master's degree on her songs. And she, you know, she, I know there was one, we had, job. we had a song look away with, uh, Yep, that was going to say you've sung a few of her songs. And Diana, there was a there was a station somewhere in the, in the lower Midwest. I can't remember where it was. It might have been St. Louis or something. And she, uh, uh, they just weren't going on the tune. She got on the plane, took the guy, took the program director to dinner. He, she knew that every one of his kids' names. They were, you know, she had a handful of records with him, and she just twisted his arm until he went on the song. That's. That's a songwriter at best. And so not just to get it placed, but also to get, to get it, it placed. Once it was oh, played, she falls. Once it was played, the, the she, song went through. She the does what publishers used to do. Used to, you yeah. know, she just her own. At one machine. point, Diane was wow. she, she was writing all her songs, and she and she had and she published them all. She had a she had a piano in one room in this office she was renting, uh, in on a. a a big building in, on Coenga, and and a piano in the next room with a. I think she had a, a the cassette four track cassette recorder. Mm-hmm. I forget the T A C. T A C. Then yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's kind of how she, you know, got the stuff recorded just enough to hear the song back. And uh, and she, at one point she was the best. She was the top uh, publisher in the world. By herself with this one little. By herself. Uh, and she just did all her collections herself. Did the whole thing herself. And I think at some point in the game, she she went, I got to hire somebody because it's just getting crazy. I'd heard a story, and I'm not sure whether it's actually true, but that same building, she'd had a lot of luck writing songs in this one office. And they went to sell the building. This was after she had 25 fucking number one hits. Not that many, but maybe 10 really big mm-hmm. hits. And she, they said, but we're going to buy, we're going we're gonna to sell the building. We may have to toss you out. <laughs> and she went, oh, can I, can we make sure that part of the, part of the deal is that I can keep my office? I said, no, we can't, I can't, we can't, oh, you know, man. once they buy the building, it's up to them. Can't guarantee that. And so she bought the building. Oh, well, there you <laughs> go. Fine, I'll buy it. She says, well, okay, I got this. I don't want to lose my, my spot, you know. It's probably still there as far as I know. Yeah. yeah. She's a sweetie pie. A lot of people gave her a lot of shit because mm-hmm. she just came out of nowhere. Her first hit was uh, Rhythm of the Night by DeVarge. Really? Oh, yeah. Believe it or not. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, great yeah. groove in that tune, yeah. Oh, man. I Elle can so. sing his ass off, can't Oh, he? yeah. He's a major. Then it was my job to, um, what do we call it? I, I embarrass the guest. That's my, my new role, right? Uh, I thought that was my job, but go ahead. No, you embarrass me. Oh, and yourself, and myself. Yes. True. Yeah, I'm embarrassed but, right uh, now. We're going to talk. We're going to embarrass the guest with some uh, some serious praise. So, one of the things that I do on this show sometimes is um, embarrass our guests with with uh, praise. I had to tell you that I've had this sort of running list of the top three, my top three pop ballads of all time. There's usually ten songs in this list, but it's rotation. But the three that always come to mind when somebody asks me that question, like, "What are your favorite ballads?" and I, I'm a, a big fan of Reasons by Earth, Wind & Fire. Number two is Still by the Commodores. And three is Sarah 
That song, Ooh. Sarah, that you wrote, it still yeah. just punches me in the chest every time I hear it. Pretty song, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I had, the, I had the, the, the music for it and a doo-doo-da-da lyric. Mm -hmm. And I was hidden, I was just batting zero with it. Nothing was going on. And we were doing stuff that David said, how's he doing with the lyrics? I said, I, I'm, just, I'm just blanking. Mm -hmm. And Alan Thicke was hanging around. And Al said, let me take a shot at it. So I took a cassette machine, played it on a, played kind of generally on a Rhodes, handed it to him. He came back two days later with the lyrics. And, wow. you know, Alan's... Was talented. he around the musician circuit a lot? Well, he was around Alan? David's pretty much. They're both Canadian. Oh, okay. So, I mean, they kind of hung out a lot. There was, you know, there was a good hang right there. And I had worked with Alan on a lot of other things, just different songs that he'd written, you know, for, uh, for his TV shows and stuff like mm -hmm. that. Tamara was... Uh, one of the one of the singers in the in the yeah. band on his, um, on his show, Thick of the Night, which oh really yeah, yeah. people refer to as Sick of the Hype, but <laughs> Thick of the Night, and uh, you know Al is just one of those guys that just we kind of cross paths a lot. You know, I met Robin Thick last time. All of a sudden, he's got a number one record on the radio. I'm going. Last time I saw Robin, he was two years old. <laughs> time flies when you're burning out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The subject matter is a bit uh, risque for a two-year-old. So <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, I mean, I hadn't seen him in years. Right. Yeah. Mike. Sorry. He's well, you're just bucking for a percussion over. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Don't on the hey, percussion step. Yeah. I need the money. That's right. I wondered on the way down when we were driving down how quickly the conversation would turn to Alan Thick. It was later than I thought. <laughs> later? <laughs> yeah. In the thick of the night, maybe? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, just as an aside, since as long as we're thinking about things that make us laugh, is how many times Bill would take a title of a song oh. and like take the, like the consonants and swap them out to make some sort of uh, innuendo. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not going to mention any of those. <laughs> he was doing it all night at Sound. I know. <laughs> and she's just rolling her eyes. You know, she's just, she yeah. probably came up all these years surrounded by a bunch of guys and guys being guys, especially musicians being musicians. And you know, she's completely immune to it now. And she's just rolling her eyes at all this stupid twelve-year-old humor that Bill's got. <laughs> and I, I made me think of my own band when we used to get we used around to do it stuff. All the time. Same thing. Same but thing. like to, to know that the superstars, if he's doing exchanging these bits with David Foster yeah. and Peter Cetera, it's just hilarious. Yeah. Anyways, uh, <laughs> well, you mentioned I still want to say one, but I just can't do it. <laughs> well, we can let the listeners hear them for themselves, right? Um, well, you mentioned uh, Tamara rolling her eyes, yes. so that's a good segue to the next segment where we talked about them collaborating as husband and wife. I had no idea they had been married as long as they had forty years. Forty years. Oh, that was a long time. Yeah. And then, but you've worked together on and off during that whole time, right? Oh, a lot more lately. Than, Hot, yeah. I mean, I for a while, you know, I mean, out of our marriage, 28 of those years, I was on the road. It was, with, that was, yeah, that was, I mean, it sounds like a hard funny thing. question, but how do you keep creative differences from infecting the marriage? Well, we just, you know, or don't you really, do you guys really see it? If it's, if it's really dinner. her song and it's going <laughs> on, I try to help her put together what's going on. Mm -hmm. And if it's really my song, I kind of get the last word on it. Okay. And uh, but usually we're we're when it comes to lyrics we both get deep into it. I'm a little more of an English major, mm -hmm. and she's a little. Tamara can come up with a lyric that says fog, and somehow the lyric you can feel the fog in the room. Mm -hmm. She's really good at at those at lyrics that really. We have really, a lot of fun writing together. Yeah, yes, yeah, we've we've done That's a amazing. lot of re recent projects for some yeah. some people that we did. We did two different. Uh, uh, Translations. Well, it, we, yeah, several years ago, uh, a producer friend 
Douglas Carr from Sweden, who um, we, we wrote several things. I wrote a lot with him and Bill and I both wrote with him. And he was producing a Danish artist who had done a record in, in the language, in mm -hmm. Danish. And she was going to do it in English. So you can't translate. Not direct. You, you just can't write translate a lyrics. Yeah. You have to rewrite a song. You can get an idea, okay, this is about, you know, you know, falling in love with somebody and they run away or whatever, you know, it falls apart. So the translation so, isn't so really... So it's a not a translation because okay. it's just not poetic. It's not singable. Oh, right? okay. You yeah. know, it's Spanish or any other language. You can't do it. So well, we just had to write, rewrite a song or write a lyric yeah. with an idea of whatever that song was supposed to be, you know. And, give it a shot. I mean, with this kid, Carl. We did about five in of Puerto them Rico. with her. Uh, he sent us one, uh, and, and I said, well, what, what, are, what is the translation of the lyrics? And I read what it was, and I went, I don't, this, not, this ain't going to fly. Sometimes you get lucky, and what their subject matter and their premise will fit in English. Yeah. You can make it work. Rarely. Mm -hmm. Usually you just got to rewrite a song. You just rewrite it. So we kind of have fun doing that. There's one uh, artist, uh, Lars D.K. out of uh, Denmark. Mm -hmm. I think it's Lars Nielsen is his name. Yeah, but it, they calls himself Lars, Lars D.K. That means Denmark. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Whatever. Danish but he's grown a monster. I mean, so, a, a kind of a mutual friend of ours sent us, sent us stuff, you know, of, of concert that he did. He's a great piano player. It was a r ridiculous performance great performer uh great song great really good singer he sent us this thing and you know i said well send us what what the translation of your lyrics is and it wasn't going to work so we just did we kind of listened to the music and where the music was kind of going mood wise and tried to fit into that with english lyrics and we ended up getting a monster just a screamer and that, now he's wondering you know, I, I did a vocal now and sent it do. over. Now, I was wondering, now what are we going to do? Maybe we could find some really well-known singer to sing it. And I said, look at, <laughs> look at track four. You've already got one of those. <laughs> How about somebody with a record deal? You know, but he's, it's just really cool. You know? I mean, he sang it in English, so there was one... There's a crooked little smile. Was it was so it ended up crooked little little yeah, crooked really little smile. So, so we had it. Oh yeah, we had to kind of get the get that together, and we got it a little better. And it's really beautiful, but uh, that's kind of some of what we've been doing lately. It's been fun. Let's clean up dinner until we get another. I got an idea for yeah. the verse. Yeah. Just, yeah. Put the plate over there. Pull out the pad, and she she writes on it. There were there was a few times we were finding ourselves doing you know, a road trip of something. We were driving somewhere, and, and we, we were driving up to San Francisco, and we were writing lyrics on the way up there. Because we're just, you know. Next thing you know, you're in San Francisco. Of paper, sure. one of us is, that yeah. It is an interesting sort of look behind the curtain there to think, to see them talking about their domestic life and how it intersects with what they're doing. You know, so like Bill says something about setting a plate aside and writing down some lyrics or they're driving to San Francisco and they're working on lyrics. Just, you know, it's it's embedded in their life. It's not, okay, I'm going to just go to the studio and do my work there and then, you know, some concierge is going to bring me my meal. I mean, they got the, yeah. you, you see it's it got that regular day-to-day -day life within it. Yeah, and they're still so active. Um, you know, I even bring up, I think, in the next clip that, they, you know, they're from L.A. or wherever they're living now, all the way to Dayton for one night. And it's not part of a tour. It, yeah, they're committed to this thing yep. um, beyond that night, so which is cool. Yep, which we'll get into yep. a little bit. Which I guess we this does uh, serve as a little segue into the reason we were down there to begin with, mm -hmm. which was the show. 
Yes. So we will yacht you. Yes, this was specifically a Valentine's thing, and it was a tie-in with, uh, was it 35 years? 35th anniversary of uh, Dirty Dancing? I think that's right, yeah. Yeah, it was tied in with an anniversary there, so... Which was a rom-com, so Valentine's yep. Day. It yep. was uh, supported by iHeartRadio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it benefited the Heart, Heart Association. Association. <laughs> right? It had Frankie in the knockouts doing Sweetheart, Heart. which had just been re-released right. in collaboration with this 80s tribute band yes. in the studio, Stranger. So, Stranger. So there's a lot of heart things going on. Um, but we talked to, we got a little preview of the show. Um, what the so what, set list would be. What the yep. set list would be. And, uh, well, let's hear them talk about it. Well, you guys are very busy, as we can tell. And we should mention that we are on location in Dayton yep. uh, for a concert that you're performing in. This We Will Yacht You tour um, that will be hopefully moving about the country this summer. But this is the first one. And you guys uh, are both performing on stage today, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and how many songs? Tell us, first of all, what got you from sunny California to dreary Dayton? Um, and what else can we expect from you? Ken. That was him. Okay. So they're pointing yeah. at Ken. Yeah. 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 Um, I think it was either Verizon or uh, or AT and T, whatever whatever you're hanging with. So, yeah. what can we expect tonight? I mean, obviously, this will be in well, the past. It's going to be a little bit different tonight. Usually, I'll just have, send my MP3s to the band, and the band will learn them, and we'll go play with the band. Mm-hmm. And we've got three songs that we'll play with the band, but they were kind of didn't have time, and they were unable to learn, like "Turn Your Love Around." Mm-hmm. So I said, I'm, I'm just bringing my computer. And I got a, a, a TV mix, mm-hmm. you know, no vocals. Yep. Background vocals are on it. But uh, a mix that I had, I've had for years. I'll just, I'm going to just sing it with that, you know. And then, uh, and then we're gonna, I'm going to probably do After the Love, just piano. And nice. Me and Tamara, that's about it. So it's kind of a little bit, this one's going to be a little bit different. We've done a lot of gigs together, just the two of us. So, I mean, I've used these, these kind of tracks for those kind of things. So that was before we got to experience what we ultimately got to experience. Yes. But there were two things. Well, I, now I think of three things that were crazy about that night. So we got the opportunity to go to that sound check, which right. was totally cool. Mm-hmm. And to see a veteran, a wily veteran, run a sound check as a guest member of the band was just something to behold, wasn't it? Just the efficiency of what he did. Not only did he, it's funny, you see the other guys that are. They have day jobs, and so they're, I don't know, I don't want to call them amateur musicians. They're, I mean, they're, they're pros in the sense that they get paid, but they're not to the level of Bill. And they're all, it's the classic, you know, guitar player warming up and, you know, bam, 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 going through all of his sounds on his pedal board and the keyboard player banging out stuff. And it's just this cacophony of noise. Everybody, as if you've never heard any of your sounds on your keyboard before, or you've never set up your pedal board before, and you're doing it for the first time right there. It's like... Bill walks up, opens up his laptop, which has that backing track for Turn Your Love Around, hits the space bar, and all of a sudden it's just go time. <laughs> doesn't really announce it. Doesn't, doesn't say, hey, anything. you guys ready just to run this? <laughs> and then they're, they're, they're playing along. And he was able to so quickly identify little things that he could change up in the band, such as there was a spot where the telling the keyboard player not to play in the left hand because it was getting in the way of the bass part. And yep. Just qu- how quickly he identified him, was able to make the fix, and just so efficiently done. Yeah. You know? And that was my second takeaway was I can just imagine being the, the 
band who is doing a sound check. Otherwise, they'd have been totally comfortable screwing around and you know making all the jokes that we talked about earlier. Right. But now you've got this legend directing the run through. Yes, and that had to be like so much pressure. I, I would have been like frozen up there. Deer in the headlights. Yeah, <laughs> you know. But the guys ended up. They pulled it off pretty good. And they're arranging. You know, Tamara and the lead singer of Stranger and Bill are arranging harmony parts on the spot. Oh yeah. And that guy, the lead singer of Strangers, like just picked it up like that. I was I was impressed with that. Yeah, he's nailing parts, but Bill's you know so quickly identifying little little things, the little yeah. nuance and details that we associate with yacht rock. When the way he directed him to sing "Turn Your Love Around," he's like, so they you know I want you on the alto part. She's going to do the tenor part, an octave up or whatever it was. And then when we do it, it's "Turn Your Love Around." Like yeah, that. he says, yeah. "I want Doppler vocals on that." And, you know, just boom, 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 and and then it's like, all right, run it. Yeah, so <laughs> like you got no time to think about it, no time no. to get it locked in. Um, but, but he's aware of every single note, I swear, that's being played at any moment on that stage. Yeah. And that was my third final takeaway is what an honor it was to watch that firsthand. I would have loved to have gone and seen like a Chicago rehearsal, mm-hmm. you know, which we'll get to Chicago in part two. Um, the show was excellent. show was excellent. But Soundcheck was even better just from my perspective because of watching him behind the scenes. Work. Yeah, behind the scenes. And the show was outstanding. And Bill and Tamara got a huge ovation because they sure their set, their mini set was outstanding. Brought the yes. house down. Yes, the set list overall was not um for the yacht purists. There was a lot of stuff that was not oh, yeah. yachty. Um but they did they did a couple of gems, man. When they did Baby Come Back, that yeah. was pretty fun. That was. Yes, it was. Yeah. Yep. Well, and then the last thing is uh I just I was like a kid in a candy store because I got we go to see the sound check behind the scenes. Then we get to go <laughs> I can't even gonna believe I'm saying this. Go to dinner with Dane Donahue. Yeah. And as we're sitting there, I get an email from Jake Graydon. I'm like, my <laughs> life is complete. I'm probably gonna get struck down by lightning, but hey, timing's everything. Yeah, he's gonna hate me for saying this, but it's funny. We're sitting there at the bar, you and I, and, and my phone rings and I pick it up and I see that it's Dane Donahue. And I'm like, and his first question is, they got Heineken there? <laughs> And they did. And they did. Which is why he showed up. (laughs) Awesome. Well, good. Well, let's uh, put a pin in this for right now. And we'll come back to um, this in episode two. We'll get into a little bit of the Chicago stuff, which wasn't like the topic du jour by any stretch. But before we do that and we hit a lightning round, we should mention that this show is sort of being reprised this summer. Uh, August 19th, near Dayton again, Yes, right, at an outdoor amphitheater that looks fun called Phrase. F-R-A-Z-E. I think it's about 4,000 seats. It's an yep. outdoor thing with a lawn, kind of. And it's a Friday night, yeah. so you you know you don't have to behave yourself or be on your best and behavior And they're both anyway. doing larger set lists than what they did that night. Oh, okay. I didn't know According that. to what Ken told me. Yeah. But same lineup, right? Stranger right. Uh, with Frankie Previtt. Yep. Uh, Bill and Tamara. They'll both be yep. back. Yep. Uh, maybe some other surprises. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, so a little ways away. August 19th. So check that out. If you have any questions about We Will Yacht You, uh, message John. <laughs> <laughs> I'm in Facebook timeout. No, that's right. Yeah. So anyways, that's my excuse. All right. Lightning round. All right. As you could have guessed, I have a Bill Champlin related uh, float your boat question for you. As so, do I. Um. What's weird is that that Runaway album of Bill's is not on Spotify. Much of it is on there and pieced together from various compilations, but the album itself does not. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, one of his songs from that album I'm going to hit you with, and uh, then I'll get then I'll get to the deeper questions. So, Satisfaction. Here goes. Satisfaction! 
So since this is the float your boat section, obviously the question is going to be how much this floats your boat. Because to me, there's parts of it when it first starts out that the recording of it doesn't quite fit the Yachty profile. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is co-written by Richard Page. Ooh, that helps. That would be a plus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, question would be maybe does the synth bass kill this one? Yes. Heavy synth bass. Oh, sorry. But do the Hay, the Jerry Hay horns save it? Yes. Okay, so. I agree with everything you said thinking? so far. What are you thinking? Well, first, it comes from a compilation. <laughs> this is what's funny. It comes from a compilation from 2017 uh, just called Yacht Rock. And, uh, is that the one with the pink cover on it and the black flamingo or something? Yeah, and it looks like uh, the um, Miami Vice font. Yeah, yep. It's got uh, some interesting choices, like Smooth Sailing Tonight by the Isley Brothers is on there. Not. Uh, I know. Jerry, uh, Johnny's song, Jerry Rafferty, Lonely Boy is on oh there. Gosh. Midnight at the Oasis is on there. So Sail the, Away by Badfinger. Uh, and then where, how did they come up with the, the actual right song, Runaway? Or without Runaway? <laughs> Satisfaction. Satisfaction. So are you saying you like it? You Compared it? to those songs, <laughs> yeah. But I agreed with everything you said. To me, it like straddles the fence. It's it like does. At one moment, I'm, I, I'm like, oh, for sure. And then I'm like, eh, no. So I don't know. Can I get back to you on that? You may. All right. Well, because I'm going to sort of round it out here, okay. too. Um, going back to a song that you and I have talked about a lot, because for whatever reason, Sirius XM's Yacht Rock channel only plays one Bill Champlin song, I find. I know. It I is know. Take It Up Town. I know. Which I don't find that yachty. I don't really either. But I was surprised to find out that the guys gave it a composite 62. Really? Yes. So, which leads me to the four songs on the Yachtsky scale by Bill Champlin, just Bill Champlin, not anything else he's done. Okay. Um, so, Runaway is a 91.25. Wow. Yeah, I know. That's awesome. So, that's you too know, high for too. the rocking side of the yacht. Yeah. yeah. Wow. I Don't Want You Anymore is 88.75. Okay. One Way Ticket, 76.5. And then I mentioned Take It Uptown, 62. Wow. I don't find any of those that yachty. No. The yachtiest song of all is what I'm going to submit to you for yeah. Doesn't Float Your Boat. And I think it's his yachtiest tune. Got to get back to love. Yeah. Uh, so, what, you had a 90-something, an 80-something? What were the... the 91, rough- uh, call it an 89, a 76, and a 62. So that adds up to maybe roughly 225. <laughs> I would score, got to get back to love, 226 points. Yeah, I mean, I, good I, gravy. I, think so. I definitely think it's... It's so much yachtier. Yeah, yep. And I was considering going between that and Satisfaction, but I went with this one because I do find it yachtier. So yeah, there you go. I do. That That is one of the others that is on my, as we've talked about, short list of you can play somebody one song to tell me what Yacht Rock sounds like. That's on the list. Yeah, I, I agree. That is on the list. All right, well, let me uh, switching gears here now to okay. um, A Buried Treasure. So this is, talk about serendipity. So we did this podcast, the original recording, what, like six, eight weeks ago, right? Mm-hmm. And just today I'm listening to, I got to give props to Yacht Rocket Radio, Captain Hugh. Yeah. And I come across this tune by an artist I think I've heard of, but I'm not sure, Leon Ware. Yeah. Okay. Did you know much about him? Not at all. I knew the name maybe because other people have posted it, but I've never investigated it. So, so the first thing I find out is he was from Detroit, which is cool for Ooh. us. Um, 
and the Wikipedia page describes him as an American songwriter, producer, composer, and singer um, who's best known for producing hits for other artists, including Michael Jones, Michael Joe, Michael Jackson, Quincy Jones, Maxwell, Marvin Gaye. Hmm. So total props, but this tune, I'm going to save for you for next week the tune that Captain He was playing on Yacht Rock and okay. Radio because I go to this album, and the next thing I find out is Bill and Tamara sang on it. Whoa! Yes. <laughs> Not only that, Bill co-wrote the following tune, Miracles. Tell you what, he could have sold that one to Earth, Wind, and Fire. Then he only would have had to come up with one more. Man. <laughs> I know. Well, and he collaborated with some likely uh, characters. So the personnel on this record, which I, you got to go listen to, is David Foster, Marty Page, uh, da- uh, David Page, yep, I thought I would, uh, Dean Parks, Steve Lukather, Nathan Ace, Chuck Rainey, Abe Laboreal, Letty Castro, uh, Bill Champlin, and Tamara, as I mentioned. And, yeah, so chock full of... Um, of personnel. So, but 1982, right in the heart of Yacht Rock. Go listen to it because next week I am going to pick another song off the same album that's even yachtier than that. It, what, fun little game. You can try to figure out which one it is. All right. Uh, I it would is say, fun. Yeah. <laughs> it, it'll be a and ton little. of fun. It, it, yes. In a game. All right. So that's that. I mentioned, by the way, that that was co written by Bill Champlin and Leon Ware. So back to you. Try to top that. Ooh. How do you like that? We got viewer mail. Ooh. Uh-huh. We need a sound effect for viewer mail. Mail's in. All right. How do you like that one? Okay. Viewer mail. Yes. Very good. Okay. Well, this came from uh, listener Richard, and um, I believe he's our New Zealand correspondent. Uh, yeah. Um, as I recall. Yep. And um, he told a little backstory that uh, he took a, he's at a record store and took a flyer on a record that the. I mean, how many times has this happened to us when we were younger? The cover catches your eye. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, that cover looks cool. He flipped it over, and it was the picture of, like, 70s sort of soft rockers, you know? Mm-hmm. And he said, all right, I got to take a chance on this. And it was, like, probably in the dollar bin or whatever the equivalent is. And he got it home, and it was just blown away. It was just yacht track after yacht track. It was a band called Morocco, M-O-R-O-C-K-O. Mm-hmm. The album's from 1981, and he actually sent us a snap of the uh, liner notes in the back. And down at the bottom, it says this. Funky and polished, Morocco is a great album by a very tight and talented band. Influences include Steely Dan, Toto, Prince, Earth, Wind & Fire, etc. If you like your rock funky or your funk hard, this then this is for you. And I submit to you a song called... Giving it up. Not to be confused with living it up. No, this is giving it up. Giving it and up. It's yes. giving it up. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, that was out of nowhere. This is a, a contemporary band? 
Like oh, now? No, 1981. Oh, 81. Okay, so, so they can were... you imagine his joy getting this oh. home and taking a flyer on it and having all that happening? Yeah. Well, imagine my joy when you sent this to me, and I'm just going to ask listeners to go check out another tune off there called "Come and Do It," which is, I think, even yachty. Yeah, Spotify upload sounds like it's like a third generation tape. <laughs> Maybe even came off cassette. It's got a lot of dropouts and stuff. Well, but, track uh, down the vinyl. I know. All right. Pretty cool. Yeah, very cool. All right. Well, hit us. Uh, actually, I'm going to have you go last on uh, right. Off the Map. You do it. You go. So I'm going to go next because uh, it's quick. So we talked to Peter Freestat. We talked to Bill Champlin. Um, we have not talked to the W, but I'm going to go to that two album from CWF. Ah, yes. Right? And uh, again, I was surprised. I had no idea that they roped Michael McDonald into a tune. Yeah. And so that was not only a buried treasure, but it's off the map because it's uh, 2020? 2020. And it also features none other than Tamara Champlin. Loving the world. Looking for Get Michael McDonald, man. There, there's personnel on that record. Yes, you got sir. Toto represented. You got the uh, Michael McDonald era doobies represented. You got Champlin representing Champlin in Chicago, and yep. Peter bringing in Sweden. It's like, geez, Louise, Hello. it's all there. Hello, Hello. Well, speaking of all there, are you all there? I am all there. So I, I want to harken back to the very beginning of this episode, and we had a little piece of music at the beginning that. Uh, had the voice of Mr. Bill Champlin on it. And I've been holding that in my back pocket mm. for quite some time because Page 99 has branched out. And we have a new album that will be coming out later this summer. And the the feature track, title track of that album is a cover of a Champlin song from the days of Sons of Champlin. Mm. He did not write it, but uh, he it was written by a good uh, actual high school friend of his, Rob Montoya. I heard it when I was kind of going through some early Champlin stuff, and I was immediately inspired to cover it. And that is going to be the feature, like I say, the lead track. I don't have a release date for you yet, but as a nugget for people that listen to this podcast, I'm going to play the entirety of that tune before it's even released. So get your uh, cassette decks ready to hit record. (laughs) And here comes my arrangement of For Imagination's Sake. Featuring Bill Champlin on vocals. And as an add-on... Uh, Tamara is singing in the backups as well. So we got both of them on this. Forget what might be at stake 
Well, as I recall, Bill had some nice things to say about your arrangement of this yes. tune. And he really liked your drummer, I heard. Yeah, I have to mention also Paul Pesco on guitar. And how would we know Paul Pesco? Paul Pesco was part of the Daryl Hall uh, Live at Daryl's House band. He was would have been the, like the second band leader, the guy with the long, straight black hair. Phenomenal That was Paul guitarist. Pesco. He played back with Madonna and all that stuff. He's an East Coaster. And also uh, the sax player there is a guy named Chase Baird, and he harkens from New York as well. Uh, his sort of bio calls him the uh, touring sax player for the Shaka Khan band. Wow. So, so you're starting to get some personnel on your records, I my am, friend. Man. Oof, dang. Wow. And, well, I happen to know that Peter Freestat's also going to be on this Ooh, okay. Yeah. So I don't know that. Yeah. All right. Well, let's give him one more tease. Let's tease next week's episode, okay. shall we? But uh, outstanding work, by the way. All right. So next week's episode, we are going to get into a little bit of the uh, third rail. Yeah. He didn't <laughs> want to talk too much about Chicago, did he? He no. was willing to, but he, he didn't think that was it. Right. The re- most relevant part of his right. career. So exactly. that's well said. Um, well, we'll leave people with that final tease. And uh, here's a little bit about what he had to say about uh, maybe where that started to go wrong. Yep. The first part of it was really great. We had a ball, but then things just got more corporate and more, you know, uh, just decisions were being made outside of the band. Thing. Right. And I always said, man, when a band starts making decisions in a boardroom, yeah, instead of a pizza parlor, Some shit's going wrong. Ahoy polloi.